Chapter forty nine of the Mysteries of London. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of London by George Reynolds. Chapter forty nine The Document. The more civilization progresses, and the more refined becomes the human intellect, so does human iniquity increase. It is true that heinous and appalling crimes are less frequent, but every kind of social, domestic, political, and commercial intrigue grows more into vogue. Human ingenuity is more continually on the rack to discover the means of defrauding a neighbour or cheating the world. The sacred name of religion is called in to aid and further the nefarious devices of the schemer. Hypocrisy is the cloak which conceals modern acts of turpitude, as dark nights were trusted to for the concealment of the bloody deeds of old. Mere brute force is now less frequently resorted to, but the refinements of education, or the exercise of duplicity, are the engines chiefly used for the purposes of plunder. The steel engraver's art, and the skill of the calligrapher, are mighty implements of modern misdeed. Years and years are expended in calculating the chances of cards and dice. Education, manners, and goal looks are essential to the formation of the adventurers of the present day. The bankruptcy court itself is a frequent avenue to the temple of fortune, and in order to suit this new and refined system of things, the degrees of vices themselves are qualified by different names, so that he who gambles at a gaming table is a scamp, and he who propagates a lie upon the exchange, and gambles accordingly, and with success, is a respectable financier chicanery upon a small scale and in a miserable dark office is a degradation but the delicate and elaborate chicanery of politics by which a statesman is enabled to outwit parties or deceive whole nations is a masterpiece of human talent to utter a falsehood in private life to suit a private end is to cut oneself off from all honourable society. But to lie day and night in a public journal, to lie habitually and boldly in print, to lie in a manner the most shameless and barefaced in the editorial columns of a newspaper, is not only admissible but conventional, and a proof of skill, tact and talent. Thus is modern society constituted. Let him deny the truth of the picture who can. London is filled with Mr. Greenwoods. They are to be found in numbers at the West End. Do not for one moment believe, reader, that our portrait of this character is exaggerated. In pursuing the thread of a narrative like this, there will naturally be found much to alarm, to astonish and to shock but however appalling the picture 
it teaches lessons which none can regret to learn the chart that would describe the course to virtue must point out and lay bare the shoals the quicksands and the rocks of vice which render the passage perilous and full of terrors with these few remarks we pursue our history at seven o'clock in the evening of the day following the one on which we have seen mr greenwood conducting his multifarious schemes and transactions with the precision of a minister of state count alteroni arrived at that gentleman's house in spring gardens he was shown into the elegantly furnished drawing-room where mr greenwood received him the count was however the only one of all the financier's visitors who did not seem dazzled by the proofs of wealth and luxury that prevailed around the italian nobleman remarked these indications of great riches and considered them the guarantees of mr greenwood's prosperous position in the world but apart from this view of the splendour and sumptuousness of the mansion he neither appeared astonished nor struck with admiration the truth was that mr greenwood's abode with all its magnificent decorations and ornaments its costly furniture and its brilliant display of plate was a mere hovel compared to the count's own palace at montoni the capital city of castel Sicala. mr greenwood and the count had not exchanged many words ere dinner was announced the banquet although only provided for the founder of the feast and his one guest was of a most magnificent description every luxury which london could produce appearing upon the table at half-past eight o'clock the clerk of mr greenwood's solicitor arrived and was introduced into the dining-room he had brought with him a deed by which greenwood bound himself to be answerable to count alteroni for the sum of fifteen thousand pounds which the latter had placed in the hands of the former for the purpose of speculation in a certain steam packet company greenwood recognising his responsibility towards the count to the above extent whether the company should succeed or not it having been originally agreed that he greenwood should incur all risks he had undertaken the sole direction of the enterprise this deed was signed by george m greenwood witnessed by the attorney's clerk and handed to count alteroni the clerk then withdrew mr greenwood ordered a bottle of the very best burgundy to be opened and drank a bumper to the health of the signora isabella scarcely was this toast disposed of when lefleur entered the room and said a courier with dispatches from your correspondence in paris sir has just arrived and requests to see you instantly i have shown him into the study very good exclaimed greenwood suddenly assuming a business air will you excuse me count for a few minutes i shall take my leave since you are likely to be much occupied said the nobleman on the contrary pray remain i insist upon it i shall not be long with this messenger cried mr greenwood 
and we must empty another bottle before I allow you to take your departure. The Count suffered himself to be overruled, and Mr. Greenwood repaired to his study, well knowing that, instead of a courier from Paris, he should there find Tom the Cracksman. Nor was he mistaken. That individual was sitting very comfortably in an armchair near the fire, gazing around him, and wondering, amongst other things, where the master of the house kept his strong-box. "'You are known, I believe,' said Greenwood, carefully closing the door, "'as the cracksman?' "'That's my title, sir, for want of a better,' answered the villain. "'You are, perhaps, astonished that I have sent for you here,' continued Greenwood, "'but I wish a certain service performed this very night.' and for which i will pay you liberally what's the nature of the service demanded the cracksman darting a keen and penetrating glance at greenwood a highway robbery coolly answered this individual well that's plainer now said the cracksman but first tell me how you come to know of me and where i was to be seen because how can i tell but what this is all a plant of yours to get me into trouble I will answer you candidly and fairly. A few years ago, when I first entered on a London life, I determined to make myself acquainted with all the ways of the metropolis, high or low, virtuous or vicious. I disguised myself on several occasions in very mean clothes, and visited all the flash-houses and patter-cribs, amongst others the boozing-ken in Great Saffron Hill. There you were pointed out to me, and your skill, your audacity, and your extraordinary luck in eluding the police were vaunted by the landlord of that place in no measured terms. Well, this is singular. Blow me if it ain't, cried the cracksman. Another person found me out just in the same way this very morning. Only, and he wants a little private job done for him. But that's for tomorrow night. Howsomever, I never blab to one of what I have done or am going to do for another. You tonight, him tomorrow night. After all, the landlord's a fool to talk so free. How'd he know you weren't a trap in disguise? Because I told him that my object was merely to see life in all its shapes, and I was then so very young I could scarcely have been considered dangerous. However, I have occasionally indulged in such rambles, even very lately, and only a few weeks ago I looked in at the boozing ken dressed as a poor countryman. There I saw you again, and I overheard you say to a friend of yours, whom you called the Buffer, that you were generally there every evening to see what was going on. All right, cried the cracksman. Now, nah, what's the robbery, and what's the reward? Are you man enough to do it alone? I'm man now to try it on, but if so be the chap is stronger than me, he is a tall, powerful person, and by no means likely to surrender without a desperate resistance. Well, all that can be arranged, said the cracksman coolly. Not knowing what you wanted with me, I brought two of my pals along with me, and they're out in the street, or in the alley leading to the park. 
if there'd been anything wrong on your part they would either have rescued me or marked you and your ass for future punishment i'm glad that you have your companions so near of course they will assist you in anything the resurrection man and the buffer will stick to me like bricks very good i will now explain to you what i want done between eleven and twelve o'clock a gentleman will leave london for richmond he will be in his own cabriolet with a tiger only twelve years old behind the cab is light blue the wheels streaked with white this is peculiar and cannot be mistaken the horse is a tall bay with silver mounted harness this gentleman must be stopped and everything his pockets contain everything mind must be brought to me whatever money there may be about him shall be yours and i will add fifty guineas to the amount but all that you find about his person save the money must be handed over to me i understand said the cracksman does he carry pistols i should imagine not never mind the resurrection man has got a couple of barkers but s'posen he shouldn't come at all what then you shall have twenty guineas for your loss of time here are ten as an earnest that's business said the cracksman any more instructions no i need scarcely say that no unnecessary violence is to be used leave all that to me you will sit up and wait for me yes give a low single knock at the door and the same servant who sought you out last night and let you in just now will admit you again the cracksman gave a significant nod and took his departure mr greenwood returned to the dining-room where he had left the count my news from paris is of the most satisfactory nature he observed my correspondents in that city moreover promise me their best support in our new enterprise i am delighted to hear that your letters have pleased you said the count the two gentlemen then broached another bottle of burgundy and mr greenwood conversed with even more sprightliness than usual indeed the count fancied that he had never found his host so agreeable and entertaining at eleven o'clock precisely the count's cabriolet was announced and the nobleman took his departure with the conviction that under his present circumstances mr greenwood was the most eligible suitor for the hand of isabella that was likely to present himself as soon as the count had taken his departure mr greenwood rang for his slippers and dressing-gown drew close to the cheerful fire that burnt in the grate and ordered lafleur to make him a tumbler of the best pineapple rum punch this exhilarating beverage and a fragrant havana cigar enabled mr greenwood to pass the time away in a most comfortable and soul-soothing manner and it was thus that he mused as he watched the pale blee transparent smoke of his cigar wreathing upwards to the ceiling i began the world without a shilling and at an age when i had no experience in the devious ways of society and what am i now the possessor of sixty thousand pounds 
A few years ago I slept in coffee-houses, paying eightpence a night for my bed. I breakfasted for threepence halfpenny, dined for tenpence, and supped for twopence. Now the luxuries of the four quarters of the world tempt my palate at every meal. At the outset of my career my transactions were petty rogueries. Now I play my false cards to produce me thousands at a stake. I once purchased my coat for twelve shillings in Holywell Street. There is not now a tailor at the West End who will not give credit to George Greenwood. My wealth purchases me every kind of pleasure. I can afford to bestow a thousand guineas upon the woman who, daughter of a peer and wife of a baronet, throws herself into my arms. One single scheme produces me ten times that amount. And Isabella, beauteous Isabella, shall be my wife. I shall receive no dowry with her, it is true, because I have obtained all her father's fortune in advance. But I shall be proud to introduce a lovely wife, the daughter of a count, and descended from a long line of ancestry, in that fashionable sphere to which I must henceforth belong. I shall be a member of Parliament. Lord Tremorden can easily obtain for use a baronetcy in due time, and then the peerage is not a height too difficult to aspire to. Oh, if with a coronet upon my brow and Isabella by my side, I can drive in my chariot too? Lafleur entered the room at this moment, and handed a letter to his master. Greenwood opened it, and read as follows. I have done your bidding in every particular up to the present moment. Louisa set off this afternoon for Birmingham, having received a letter stating that her only sister is at the point of death in that town. You will of course understand by whom that letter was written. I have, moreover, invented an excuse relative to the date of the departure of the New York packets from Liverpool, by which means I am enabled to remain in London without exciting the suspicions of Eliza. I shall pass tomorrow evening with her. You may rely upon being admitted at midnight. Greenwood full well understood the meaning of this note without a signature and its contents tended to augment the happiness which the success of his schemes infused into his breast. Hour after hour passed away. At length midnight sounded, and all the servants, save Lafleur, were dismissed to their sleeping apartments. The cigars, the rum punch, and the pleasurable reflections into which the financier plunged, made the time elapse rapidly. One o'clock struck, and he had not found a single moment tedious. He was not anxious, nor a prey to suspense, as other men would have been. He felt certain that his wishes would be accomplished, and he was therefore as composed as if he had already been assured of their success. The clock struck two, and a low knock was heard at the front door. Lafleur answered the summons, and in a few moments introduced the cracksman to the room where his master was sitting. 
all right sir said that worthy the moment lafleur had withdrawn and no violence i hope cried greenwood not a bit returned the cracksman we was as gentle as lambs we only pitched the small boy into a dry ditch that was by the side of the road and as for the gentleman i just tapped him over the head with the butt of a pistol to keep him quiet but i did it myself to make sure it wasn't done too hard you surely have not murdered him said greenwood his whole countenance suddenly convulsed with horror don't be afeard he was only stunned you may take my word for that returned the cracksman coolly but here's all the paper we found in his pocket and as for his purse it had but a few pans in it mr greenwood received the papers from the hands of the cracksman and observed with a glance that amongst them was the document which he had given a few hours previously to guarantee the safety of the fifteen thousand pounds placed in his hands by count alteroni you are sure he said with some uneasiness depicted upon his countenance that there is no danger to be apprehended from the blow danger be damned cried the cracksman i know from experience exactly what kind of blow will stun or break a limb or kill outright i'll forfeit my reputation if there's any arm in that there whack which i gave to-night we must hope that you are right in your conjecture said greenwood then taking his purse from his pocket he counted down forty-two sovereigns upon the table adding that will make up the fifty guineas promised the cracksman consigned the money to his fob then took leave of his employer hoping that he should have his custom in future the moment he was gone greenwood thrust the document which he had thus got back by a crime of an infamous nature into the fire when it was completely consumed he proceeded to examine the other papers these consisted chiefly of letters written in cipher addressed to count alteroni and bearing the postmark of montoni castel Sicala. the rest were notes and memoranda of no consequence whatever mr greenwood being unable to unriddle the letters written in cipher and considering that they were upon political subjects with which he had little or no interest consigned the entire packet of papers to the flames he then retired to rest and slept as soundly as if his entire day had been passed in virtuous deeds at about ten o'clock in the morning he received the following letter from richmond my dear mr greenwood as i was on my way home last evening i was suddenly attacked by three villains in a dark and lonely part of the road one of the miscreants stunned me with the blow of a pistol and threw the little jockey into a ditch fortunately we are neither of us seriously injured the robbers plundered me of everything i had about my person my purse containing thirty-four sovereigns and all of my papers amongst which was the security i had received from your hands a few hours before you will perhaps have another drawn i do not think it is worth while to make any disturbance relative to the matter as in consequence of the darkness of the night 
I should be totally unable to recognize the miscreants. Yours faithfully, Alteroni. Thank heavens there is no danger in that quarter, exclaimed Mr. Greenwood, when he had perused this letter. He is not hurt, and he will not adopt any means to detect the culprits. As for having another document drawn up, I can take my time about that, and he will not dare press me for it as he did for the first. Besides, he will consider my honourable intentions in the matter fully proved, by having given the one which he has lost. Thus have I obtained fifteen thousand pounds without much trouble. Thus have I thrown dust into the eyes of this Count, and still do I retain his confidence. And his lovely daughter, the beautiful Isabella, with her large black eyes, her raven hair, her sweet red lips, and her sylph-like form, she shall be mine. I shall lead her to the altar, that charming Italian virgin, whose very looks are heavens. Everything progresses well. Success attends all my plans, and tonight, tonight, he added, tonight will ensure me the gratification of my desires and my vengeance with regard to that haughty one of the villa end of chapter forty nine recording by steve chilvers norwich england